Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I'm joined by that guy over there. Tonight a little less hungover than last night but uh, how is the uh, body feeling and is your throat torn to pieces uh, is there any bile left in your stomach? Yeah, this disgrace of a human over here. Uh, it, it certainly was one of those situations where it was that real yellow stuff that's coming up, like late in the piece. It was not a great place to be. Uh, I'm much better today. I've, I've bounced back nicely, which is a bit strange. But yesterday I was in a pretty bad place. Um, yeah, I mean, just a couple of things on that. And I didn't want to air my dirty laundry on the show, but I'm going to. When, he, when is this maturity going to come? Because you're putting our careers, our financial interests in jeopardy. And I think we need to sort of clear this up. When are you going to clean up your act? Uh, I mean, I'm used to carrying this relationship. So, you know, when is this going to sort itself out? Firstly, you're not airing your dirty laundry, you're airing mine. Secondly... <laughs> I get enough of this from my other half. I don't need it from you as well. I, I've been through this already. I don't need it again with you now, all right? So at some point, I'll give up the sesh. I just don't know when it's going to be. I'm not there yet. Although uh, okay. after, after that effort, I'm a hell of a lot closer. Well, and on the other thing, I'm concerned about your health. Have you heard that angle as well? Like, I'm concerned about your health. And, you know, I honestly got... think she hopes my health is giving way at this point. I'm probably worth more to her no longer alive. <laughs> oh, God. That's horrifying with child number two on the way. All right. We do not have long to burn this kind of clock. So we're going to get into it. We have got a big show uh, today. I keep saying that. To be honest, this isn't going to be a big show because I think this week was a little bit down. Probably the first down week because there wasn't the chaos games. And if that's what you wanted then, you know, maybe for the first time this year that has been unpredictable. So this kind of was unpredictably predictable. Uh, but anyway, let's get into our 360. We went chalk in the early games as all these ranked road teams came away winners and that sort of held sway throughout the throughout the entire weekend, which is just un unheard of, really. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We had a whole bunch of teams not play. We had 15 games cancelled or postponed on this one. A lot of the big ranked matchups or ranked teams we were hoping to have play did not. So we didn't get to see a lot of that action. And this is by far the most impacted week that we've seen. And, and I feel like as a society, we're starting to get a bit of uh, COVID boredom, like we're, we're, we've, we've saturated our interest in it and we want to move on to the next thing, but it is still at its peak, uh, and especially over in the States, so we're not going to see the back end of this, we're just lucky for what we can get at the moment, um, but yeah, it's it's not good that it's having such a big impact. I mean, are the Pac-12 going to get any games going? Yeah, and, and this is going to have an impact, and we're not going to talk about it in this show, but there is scope to talk about, well, what happens with a playoff? Are they going to cancel bowl games? What does it look like towards the end of the year as this thing doesn't look like it's getting any easier? On the home front here, we're having a little bit of a spike in, in uh, cases over here as well, and we're seeing some very sharp, quick responses to that. 
Uh, unfortunately, that has been mostly in the toilet paper purchasing uh, direction, which has been really disappointed because I thought all the dumb fucks had got that shit out of the way, pardon the pun, uh, already. And I thought that was done, but no, nah, we go round again and the idiots are out in fucking force. So hopefully they buy some sexual protection so they don't breed, but this is happening all over again. <laughs> All right, uh, back into our three. <laughs> back into college football. I don't have a whole heap more. What else have you got for me before uh, I, mean, I go in on somebody else? Because I'm about to. Well, Miami uh, being somewhat un Miami like in getting a win in a spot that they're not supposed to. So I, I was impressed with that. They keep going with that. Uh, I think Notre Dame's worth calling out. Uh, had another victory, moved to 8 0. And Ian Book is starting to find his feet. His numbers have dramatically improved over the last few weeks. Early on, they were very much reliant on uh, Kyron Williams and that run game. And now Ian Book's starting to open it up. And they're looking like a, a real contender as opposed to a team that beat an undermanned Clemson side. Yeah, and not only that, Brian Kelly notched his. 200th win, I believe, which pushes him to second all-time in Notre Dame history, which is unbelievable because there was noise around him being kind of given the chop or he was on the hot seat a few years ago. Mainly from you. Nah, it wasn't just me. It was not (laughs) just me. There was other people as well. Very Um, few. No, there was some, all right? There was some. All right, the only other thing that I do want to mention is why the F can't commentators sort their shit out and get an understanding of this goddamn targeting rule it has been in place now for years and they still can't get this call right now there was one and i'm going to give a specific one here in the oregon washington state game and there was actually two from the same player helmet to the head or neck area against a defenseless receiver that equals getting thrown out of the game and uh, you know, I, I can't remember the player's name specifically, uh, but the Oregon defensive back hits him. Yeah, he goes head up. Like, he's like, oh, he kept, he kept his head, like, he kept the crown of the helmet out of it, and, like, he kept his head up. It's like, it doesn't fucking matter, dipshit. Like, you cannot smoke a dude in the head when they're trying to catch the ball. You just can't do it. And then Mike Pereira, like any other official who is on, you know, a Fox broadcast or a CBS or whoever they get in as the rules expert comes in and says, yeah, but it doesn't matter. And then the refs keep him in the game anyway, and, and I just didn't quite understand that. And it was always kind of like, oh, yeah, but he tried to do the right thing, so he shouldn't get thrown out. Anyway, this same player then goes and tries to tackle a running back, which is a live full ball carrier, grabs him, wraps him up, like kind of inadvertently makes contact helmet to helmet, as you do in lots of tackles. And then he gets chucked out the game for that one, which was less egregious than the first one. I just don't fucking get it. The commentators have got no idea. The refs have got no idea. I just did not understand that series of play. That is that, it for me. That sounds like a makeup call, but I like the passion coming from your end here. Oh. You, you're really worried about these boys' safety and... and I, I, like I don't fucking get Do you know what else annoyed me tonight? Here we go. Fucking people that don't indicate on roundabouts. How fucking hard is it? You're going to kill me because you want to turn right. You don't indicate. I'm about to bust through that thing and you're just going to T-bone me, you fucking dickhead. So indicating off a roundabout, yes or no? I don't. You don't need to, no. But when you're on there and you're coming from opposite me, directly opposite me in a four-way roundabout and you are turning across my face, you're turning right, you're taking exit number three take the third exit you've got to fucking put the blinker on for that you wanker like get your shit sorted 
I'm probably one to indicate off a roundabout. I just think it's like a polite, I mean, that's, courteous uh, that's thing okay, to do. That's okay as well, but like you've got to do something. You can't just do fucking <laughs> nothing because that's how people fucking die. And it happened to me when I was going for a run tonight. And I was like... How I hard will... are you hitting these roundabouts that someone oh. might die? <laughs> I am flying through this thing. Evil Knievel Oof. would be proud. He would... Anyway... Uh, let's move on. We've got some news to get through, and I'm still burning up clock here. <laughs> All right. Will Muschamp is out at South Carolina. They don't keep him around. There was always, it appeared to be some hesitancy in removing head coaches, particularly in this year and under these circumstances. Your thoughts on that one, Will? Yeah, 28 and 30 across his five years. They're not great numbers. Uh, they hadn't really shown the progress that you probably want to see from that program. Uh, on the back of a loss to Lane Kiffin's old Miss side, they probably saw that as, you know, Muschamp's had his opportunity to build his program and get his guys in. Lane Kiffin's come in to inherit something and he's beaten him off the back. They want better than that they want to see that improvement so they're going to start from scratch again and, and hopefully get someone else into what is a pretty tough spot there in the SEC Jenny Brown as we head back a fraction uh, retires from college football uh, he's a running back at Penn State played a little bit last year and was set to take over the number one role there in the Nittany Lions backfield but they discovered a heart condition as part of this COVID protocol testing. He didn't have any COVID issues as such, but as a result of the you know increase in testing, they found a condition, he's had to retire. Um, so a disappointing one for him, but he gets to start his career three years earlier than most people in that running back position that would go undrafted and then you know drop out of the professional game. Yeah, it's a really sad one, that. He was a super promising player coming in, a highly recruited kid coming out and showed some real glimpses last year of being a, a game changer for the Nittany Lions and then to have this all taken away from him too soon is, is definitely disappointing. Marvin Wilson, Tamari and Terry and James Blackman are out at uh, Florida State. <laughs> um, any thoughts on those guys leaving the Seminoles as I nuke this? Yeah, it sounds system. like your cords are at Florida State as well. Just Mate, I'm fucking jumping shit, opting out. Yeah, clearly. Uh, look, there's not much to play for there. I think looking at the future schedule for Florida State, they are looking like staring down the barrel of 2-7 and seven on the year, which is just disgusting. This is a team that won the 2013 National Championship. They were in the Orange Bowl in 2016, and now they're just fucking woeful. So Yeah, it was interesting when they got rid of Jimbo, uh, and there was a lot of talk around that at the time, and I think my words were, I don't know if I've mentioned this already, but I'm going to claim this, be careful what you wish for in getting rid of someone like him. They wanted to, and they are still feeling the heat on that one. So All how do you feel about the Michigan job on the back of that then? Uh, it should be up for grabs. But there's got to be parallels to Jimbo and Harbour, no? Didn't win should a national be. championship, so... I'm, I'm just saying, if that position comes open, you were very much saying, be careful what you wish for. Harbour's been a serviceable coach, not able to get the job done. Yeah, different circumstance. Sorry, I eventually caught on with what the fuck you were talking about cool. there. You still bloody got that red wine pumping through your veins. Selena Estate, thank you very much. Um, 
uh, yeah, a different circumstance. I mean, Jim Harbaugh hasn't proved anything. He continues to underperform, if anything. Uh, Jimbo Fisher was um, perennially successful and then went off a cliff really quickly. And I don't even think it was a performance cliff. Like, he lost to Miami. He had another loss in there, and that was set for a down season. But then it turned into race. It turned into this trial by media, and it, it turned into a witch hunt uh, rather than persisting with a guy who continually underdevelops players and hasn't beaten a big program in in years so i don't i don't think they're comparative to be honest with you okay um all right let's get into some game recaps so as you mentioned earlier we were set before the weekend got started we were set for a whole bunch of teams ranked teams to go on the road all at once and this is almost unheard of but number one alabama number two notre dame number three ohio state number five texas a&m number nine miami 10 indiana 11 oregon 12 georgia 13 wisconsin 19 SMU, 20 USC, 23 Northwest, and 24 Auburn were all set to go on the road, which is pretty crazy. I don't know that I've ever seen a week of college football where that many ranked teams were set to travel, pick up their little suitcases, and make their way to someone else's home. Having said all that, one, two, three, four, five games got cancelled of that, mostly in the SEC. And most of those teams, the only one to drop there was SMU at number 19. So they lose to Tulsa, which we will kind of briefly touch on. But everybody else won, which is kind of surprising as well. Any early thoughts on this week's games after um, being totally intoxicated for the duration? Look, this is two weeks in a row where we haven't had those absolute shockers. And I think both you and I somewhat expected it with the amount of road matchups that you had and the, the calmness that we had last week after the start that we have seen this season. And, and knowing college football as well as we do, the historic landscape is there's just some silly Saturday where things get weird. And last week really looked like it could have been the case and it just wasn't. Teams took took care of business, and man, like it, it's good. It it kind of builds things up later in the season. We got six weeks left of this thing, and now you need these sorts of weeks to to build things up. If if everyone's always getting turned over, it just becomes a bit much. I th- I think you need a a stepping block, and that's what this one was. Okay, interesting. I just didn't like it. Uh, All right, let's start in the SEC. Arkansas, which was my chaos game of the week, but they get rolled by Florida 63-35. to Felipe Franks, in his return to the Swamp, scores on the first drive against the Gators, but from there, it never really got going. Florida put up 28 points in the second quarter and 21 in the fourth to eventually blow out the Pigs. Um, bit of a coming back to earth game for Arkansas. I think this continues to show that Florida's developing into a fantastic offense in particular. Uh, you know, Arkansas have been really difficult to get by and they certainly haven't been on the receiving end of these big, big blowouts. But Kyle Trask is executing this Dan Mullen offense to perfection, um, putting a lot of pressure on the back end uh, with all the comp formation combinations and um, different looks and you know eventually just busted coverages seem to come uh, not only that Kyle Trask is comfortable putting the ball up to his big receivers Trayvon uh, Grimes particularly had a big day and he's got no issue throwing the ball up and, and allowing those guys to make plays which they are uh, the only other note there is Sam Pittman was actually out of this game from the coaching perspective for Arkansas he was a Rona victim so he didn't actually coach in this one. But overall, you know, you've got to be continually impressed with Florida. 
Oh, yeah. Carl Trask is just lighting things up at the moment. He's 23 of 29, 356 yards and six touchdowns before he got tapped on the shoulder and said, sit down, mate. You're, you're done for the day. What was that? Five touchdowns in the first half? Yep. That's that's insane to win a game like that. And his numbers have been great this year. I mean, they, they really stack up historically well. Uh, ESPN's QBR, which is, I think, a, a fairly good indicator of how a quarterback is playing. At the moment, his numbers are 93.9 on the season. Joe Burrow, with that historic year that he had across last year, finished with 94.9. So he's just a step behind those historic mm. levels we saw there. Yeah, and uh, I don't think there's... I don't know who's stopping these guys, honestly. Like, you need to be able to have some firepower and play a little bit of defense. They're going to get their points. So it's going to be an interesting one to watch Florida. They look like the real deal this year. And and you know he hasn't had those tune-up games. He hasn't had the stat padding... 20 of 21 no, for yeah. 500 yards. He's done this all against SEC defenses, yeah, which just true. really speaks to how amazing he is traveling at the minute. Uh, not taking anything away from Joe Burr, of course. Kentucky 38, Vanderbilt 35. This game looked, or the scores looked closer than it really was as Vandy scored the last two touchdowns late in the final quarter. Um, but they're kind of hanging around a little bit at the moment, Vandy. They're putting up points offensively. And this is the first step to be, to competing, I suppose. You, you know, you've got to lose some close. And we went into this year thinking Kentucky were going to be okay. They've played good defense as they normally do, but allowing 35 is a bit unlike the Wildcats. And they want to run the ball. And they, and they I mean, they did that again today. They, they held them down and held Vandy down in key moments. Um, but there's a little bit of positivity there for the doors. And Kentucky, if anything have been less than impressive as this season has developed. Um, You know, Terry Wilson has been okay. The running game has been okay. But we're not getting the dominating offensive line performance. And that defense is less than stellar, which when you're trying to run the ball and play ball control, you need the defense to back it up. And that hasn't been the case in a high, high scoring year of college football. Yeah, I mean, you say Vanderbilt's around the market and doing okay, but... they're zero and six, and and this is I'm not, not good. I'm sorry, I'm not saying around the mark. Like let's just, but like, like I would have expected start of the year, and certainly even into last week, I would have expected Kentucky to handle them by two tu- two to three touchdowns, and I guess they kind of did if you don't count the junk time scores. But Vanderbilt, how often have Vandy put up 35 points? Like, Rutgers is the same. Illinois is the, like, Rutgers is the same. I guess that's my big comparison across the Big Ten. Yeah, they jagged a game this year, but they were getting blown out. You know, they went into a game favorite this week. Rutgers did. And I know we're not talking Rutgers football here, but they went into a game favorite this week for the first time since 2018. That's two coaching staffs ago. Now, Vanderbilt are potentially getting to a spot where they are actually competing and not just being the whipping boys that, you know, Rutgers were or they have been or Kansas are where it's just a a dire situation. I feel like they're in more games this year. Yeah, they're still 0-6, but they're not getting blown out by 30 points. Every but, this, but this team historically is not your Kansas. They're not your Rutgers. They're not, getting, they're not the doormat of the SEC. They're, they're certainly they not... They have com- been recently. But Outside they're not competing for it. Outside of that one flash-in-the-pan year. 
they're, they're in winning games. Sixteen. They're winning games, and and we might have to pull up this. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. I, w- I want to give, but I think this this year is disappointing. Like they want to be a team like Kentucky, who's competing, who who's good, and they've taken a step back. They've fallen in the in the pecking rung. I, I don't think this is a good year for Vanderbilt football. I think they're in a bit of strife here, and like if. A close game where you manage to score late and almost take it to Kentucky is a good result. There's real issues there. Yeah, but you've got to start somewhere. And Vanderbilt have sucked. Like, they have sucked. They weren't beating Kentucky last year. They weren't even competitive. Anyway, let us move on. A couple of interesting different takes there on Vanderbilt because I just don't think they have been close now for for a number of years. Uh, Anyway... South Carolina and Ole Miss, you're going to want to talk about this one. Probably Kevin Harris. I mean, we kind of mentioned him for the Gamecocks. His stat line in this game is ridiculous. It really didn't have too much of an impact on the final score as they go down 59-42 against the Rebels. But, gee, there was some offensive stuff in this game as well. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, your boy, Matty Corral. Yeah. Another is good game. like he he is fucking something else like yeah. I, I really like where he's about but this game was near perfect like 28 of 32 for 500 plus yards four touchdowns without turning it over that's as that's as good as you're gonna see and and that's good enough to get will Muschamp fired that's that's what he's done there so thrilled with that uh and then on the flip side how's it being kevin harris south yeah, carolina dude. crazy Crazy. 25 carries for nearly 250 yards. Five fucking touchdowns. Five of them when you're averaging a first down every time you touch the ball and you still lose by two scores. Like, come on, give me a break. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, nuts. I haven't seen a running back stat line like that maybe ever. Like, he's going at 10 yards a clip. And five touchdowns, yeah. And and in a losing effort. It's just... Anyway, let's jump into the Pac-12 now and we're going to start with USC and Arizona. Finally got some stuff to play for you. Yeah, USC needed that Malapai touchdown in the closing minutes as they do it again. They are living extremely dangerously. Keaton Slovis leads two touchdown drives in the final 3.30 to cap a win against an Arizona team that was actually better than expected. I think these two teams are actually pretty evenly matched. Um, But when USC need a score, they tend to do so. They did it last week against Arizona State. They've done it again this week against Arizona but, they've, gee, they've got some issues on offense, particularly moving the ball after the break. This is the second time whereby, you know, in the third quarter, deep in the fourth quarter, the adjustments are not there for this USC offense. And they were probably outcoached again today, which is worrying because, um, you know, Clay Helton is, I you know, has been on the hot seat for a long time. And I believe that lack of adjustments at halftime particularly is generally an indicator of poor coaching. I'm not a Kevin Sumlin guy. I think he's a really bad in-game adjuster as well. But he actually outcoached USC. It just came down to Keaton Slovis kind of making a few plays down the stretch. And wow, I don't, like this isn't lasting. USC cannot live like this for much longer. They're going to pay the price somewhere. 
Yeah, we we saw it with Texas early on in the piece where they they kept underwhelming and let, having these matchups, giving up leads, and then that came back to bite them. And, and USC are on this same path at the moment. They, they can't keep doing this. Arizona State first up, now Arizona. These are teams that they're, they're really struggling with, and credit to them for being able to pull out a victory. Like, it's... It, there's a lot going on and they've needed a lot to go right and they've needed to execute pretty well in the back halves of games and they have so you kind of need to respect that but as you say you can't keep this up the, the numbers that they're doing to pull these wins off just is, is not sustainable so unless they can get something going something changes there they're, they're in a world of hurt and they've got a loss on their schedule coming up for sure Okay, Oregon 43, Washington State 29. I watched this game and I thought it was really enjoyable. Firstly, Oregon's uni's clean. All white unis, green lids and green shoes. I thought they look really sharp, which isn't surprising from Oregon's sort of situation. I thought Washington State did everything they could to hang around in this one. They just didn't have the depth or somebody that could stop CJ Vidal in the end. Um, that defense got torched a little bit down the stretch. But Nick Rolovich has got to be really impressed with his start from his players. I think new system, brand new freshman quarterback in Jaden DeLore, and he's been really good. I was impressed with what he did. Uh, so I think, and you know, I keep jumping on these teams in a positive sense that lose. Um, but I was, I think the Cougs have really got something at that quarterback position and you know more balance with the run game as well. Oregon, however, are super talented across the offensive line. They just have dudes everywhere. And not a surprise, Murray Christabel, the head coach, was a former O-lineman. So he's going to take a lot of pride in that. But that's where this thing gets started. And from there, like the aforementioned CJ Vidal, um, Tyler Shook, Travis Dye, and Jalen Red all could excel from their skill position players. The last thing I want to mention in this one is Joe Moorhead. Um, taking control of that offense and we're starting to see some of the things that he did so well with Trace McSorley at Penn State when he was the offensive coordinator there. Uh, lots of formations, some motions, a lot of stuff that looks quite complex offensively, but is generally pretty simple running concepts. He uses that pin and pull really, really well as a base for his running game and getting to the edges and let these athletes time and space and give them one-on-one -on -one situations and, and allow them to make their moves. And CJ Vidal did that. And then you combine that with some really smart and effective quarterback play, uh, just simple pitch and catch. I think Oregon, uh, under this staff, look really, really strong. So um, all good to them. They look great moving forward. Uh, and they managed to keep a Washington State offense, which I think is pretty good, mostly in check. Yeah, you're right. This Oregon team is legit. They, they are a decent team uh, with playmakers offensively. We knew that. Credit to Washington State in this game. They came out, they were up at halftime. Like, yeah. they, they got the jump, they were looking good, and then eventually Oregon were able to get their thing going, get a bit more pressure on defensively. That uh, Kalen Thibodeau, is, he's, yeah. he's a weapon he on a that menace. defensive side. And uh, Penny Sewell's younger brother at linebacker, he's a true freshman, he's like a grown man. Um, from that linebacker position, he's a good piece as well. I'd like to see some set more sound... Um, gap integrity probably uh, but overall yeah they look really sharp I mean imagine that household with oh. you know th those two brothers just going at it when they're younger because you know at the age of like eight they were both bigger than us oh yeah 
Can you imagine <laughs> the, the the food bill would have been <laughs> extensive? My word, I hope uh, Oregon have kind of reimbursed them for that, and I'm sure they have. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look, Oregon are a team to watch out for. I think the scary thing here is what plays out in the Pac-12 and, and how there's the chance that we're going to get robbed of really seeing what this Oregon team's going to get, especially on, an, on a national scale. But at this stage, they're, they're looking like real contenders, and, and it's awesome to see. As we cruise across to uh, the Stanford-Colorado game and the Buffs get a win here, 35-32. to 32. Like last week, Colorado got up big early but then allowed Stanford, like they did UCLA last week, a chance to get back into the game and they had some tense moments before holding on to the win. Sam Neuer was good again at the quarterback position for Colorado. They held the Cardinal to just 70 yards rushing, 5 of 16 on third down, and that's very un-Stanford-like football. Um, I I don't have a whole heap on this one because I just think Stanford are having back-to-back disappointing years. Uh, You know, they've had some injury issues at the quarterback position, um, but, you know, are Colorado that good? I don't know. New coach? I I don't think so, but they they got the best of Stanford and they moved to 2-0. and Yeah, I mean, Stanford were obviously impacted by the opt-outs as well. So they've had some injuries, but they were one of the heavier teams hit by that. The, the smart kids getting out and going, no, nah, I ain't risking this. So I think that certainly plays into this. Colorado, though, how's the start? Getting going. Yeah. And, and Jarek Brassard, the running yeah. back there. Uh, he has been absolutely electric. Uh, he, he went for 120-odd yards carrying the ball uh, on the ground, and that's two weeks in a row now where he's really split things up. Is he a freshman coming in? Uh, I, I, I believe, believe he was so, yeah. lightly recruited. He's only like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, or something. like. There's not much of him, and he is just lighting it up as their workhorse running back at the moment, which is awesome to see. So... Good on Colorado. It's good to see the Buffs move to 2-0. and Stanford, they'll be fine. We need them staying in the medical labs, working on a cure for this fucking thing. So <laughs> you guys focus on that, and uh, we'll let Colorado live large and, and try and have some fun with this this year. Yeah, I mean, Colorado started this well last year, I believe. I think they got to 4-0. and They were in ranked. Or was that the year before? Can't actually remember. Um but things went in, went down the tube for them pretty quickly. Hopefully, that, that is not the case in season 2020. Washington, 27. Oregon State, 20. I want to believe in this Beavers team. I really, really, really do. But Tristan Jebbia at quarterback makes it hard to do that. Um, they're a little bit excruciating on offense this time. Washington are obviously a far more talented team, but it was their first game out of the gate. They were rather unspectacular in this one, but Jimmy Lake gets his first win as the head man for the Huskies. Yeah, so all of three points put up in the back half of this game combined. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Not a lot happening there, and I think that's kind of what Washington would like. Like they they would be okay with that. That's that's more their style of football. Uh, I like your devotion to this Oregon State program. Like you're talking about Vandy not being very good. I, I take them over Oregon State any day of the week. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, Oregon State were in it against Washington State last week, and then again, like again, that we're seeing improvement, and that's what we want to see. Like. 
again, Oregon State three, four, five years ago are getting crushed by Washington. And I know this is what college football is and it moves and ebbs and flows, but not, like less so than the NFL, less so than professional sports. So for them to start looking, again, at least hanging around, that's the first step to being competitive is can you lose close rather than lose by shite loads? Yeah, I mean, my fear for them is Jamar Jefferson is their player, right? He's their dude, mm, and he, yeah. like, this is his last year here, and he's going off to get paid because he's that sort of talent. He can. So you really need to do something a little bit more when you've got that sort of playmaker and, and win one or two of these games. Yeah, hopefully that is the case. All right, across into the Big 12, there's not a whole heap to report here, but there was a close game. So let's give these two teams, who are both not very good, a little bit of love. Jonathan Garibay. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised too. Um, but Texas Tech hit uh, one of, well, they hit that field goal to win the game with uh, at the gun. And they beat Baylor in this one, 24 to 23. A really, really good... If you're into field goal kicking, this was a windy, blustery day. Go and watch the field goal kickers. They had a day out, so well done to them. But this one went down to the wire. Baylor actually led most of the way, including into the fourth quarter. They were up 23-12. Jalen Petre got his second pick six in as many weeks for the Bears. But the Red Raiders put on 13 points in the last, including that kick, and get the job done, 24-23. I don't know where this leaves both of these two teams. Uh, I've been pretty down on Baylor, but they are looking more competitive each week. And again, we talk about growth, particularly with new head coach and uh, lack of uh, preseason, which we've spoken about many, many times. They are, you know, they're coming okay. And and Texas Tech, yeah, they get a win. But I feel if if I had to pick a team that's moving up and a team that's moving down, the team that's moving up actually lost in this game. But uh, you know, Texas Tech get a win and guns up. Yeah, I mean, th- these are two teams that are just kind of slugging it out this year. You're right, trying to generate something, trying to get some momentum for the future. I think they're probably closer than you let on there in, in where they're at as programs. I think both of them, Baylor obviously are coming from quite big heights last year, playing in the uh, Big 12 championship game. Mm. I don't remember the last time Texas Tech were relevant in in the Big 12 for that sort of thing. So I think you're right in that Baylor are kind of, well, like going back to like Michael Crabtree days. But even then they weren't, they beat Texas. Yeah, fucked up Texas this year. Yeah, but it wasn't like they were... But just ranked. Well. That's where they want to be getting yeah, around. Like getting yeah. back in there. And, and that used to be a thing that they would quite frequently do. And, and now it just doesn't seem like that's the case. They're, they're certainly mm. a second-tier operator in the Big 12. Baylor, very much ebb and flow, peaks and troughs. But that's kind of what you want when you're that, that next tier down. Like an Oklahoma State, that's, that's what you ask for. You have some lean years and then you have some stuff where you're trying to compete. So... You're right. Uh, Texas Tech to get this win is a good one, but they, we need to see a bit more consistency from them and, and turn out a, a positive year as opposed to what we're going to see. I mean, they're 3-5 and five on the year now. It, it, best case scenario, they kind of even the ledger. Yeah. TCU's offense struggle mightily against West Virginia, who are hanging around. I keep using this term, hanging around, but West Virginia are. like They're not an easy game, and, and they win this one 24-6. 
Only 295 total yards for the Horn Frogs. There's something wrong with this offense. Uh, the last five games, they've not gone over 23 points. And Max Duggan is trying to do everything, literally pass the ball, run the ball. Um, but TCU's offense looks completely... It's like it's running in quicksand at the moment. And 23 points or lack of 23 points is not getting it done in this football conference. Well, it is a defensive powerhouse now. And, and West you, Virginia you, have the, the second best... They're the second best defense in this conference. I mean, just look at the numbers that are being put up and stack it against, what, the SEC? Pfft, they're yeah. getting blown out. 60 <laughs> points a game out there. So I think West Virginia, are, it's weird. They've also kind of grown this identity, gone away from this high-flying, high-octane offense to running the ball uh, with Letty Brown and playing solid defense. And, and it's paying dividends for them. So you're right. They're, they're still in the hunt for the Big 12 championship. There's some strange shit to be played out. So they're around the mark. And Morgantown continues to prove to be an incredibly difficult place to walk away with a win. They're possibly the quietest going okay team in the country at the moment, West Virginia. Like no one's giving them any airtime. Uh, but that may have been from an early loss either way because uh, I think they've only dropped the one to Oklahoma State. Is that correct? No, they, they've dropped record. a couple. They're, they're five and three on the year. So they lost to Ooh, Texas yeah. Tech, which doesn't help. Oof. Uh, yeah, uh, probably. They lost to Oklahoma State and they've lost to Texas. So Shit I mean, called by me. All right, let's <laughs> move on. Uh, because that was the entirety of the Big 12. Yay. They've had some... Fuck, you've had some shit, shit weeks in the Big 12. Like, it has been tough sledding. we got off. game day this week. Hey, well, you might need it. Probably get cancelled. But anyway. All right, let's get into the Big 10. I don't have any clips in this one because there was nothing too excited. So let's start in the Murden Kemp Bowl. Northwestern 27, Purdue 20. Hey, Northwestern scored more than three touchdowns. So well done. More than 21 points. Northwestern's defense just kind of controlled this one from the start as you're celebrating here. Uh, the defense made enough big plays, created turnovers, getting sacks when they needed to. Oh, and by the way, they held Purdue to two rushing yards on the day, which makes things tough. I don't think either of these two teams are even close to perfect. Northwestern lack elite playmakers on offense. I think that's going to hold them back. Uh, Aiden O'Connell was okay for Purdue, but had to try and do it all with no semblance of a running game. Missed a few plays downfield. Uh, I'm not sure how I really feel. This is kind of how I thought it was going to play out. I thought Northwestern would win. Uh, maybe a little bit more high scoring, but you know, Northwestern moved to 4-0, and and, and I think this is about where these two teams are at. Uh, Northwestern continue to impress. 4-0 and is, is pretty good for this Wildcats team, and to keep... Uh, Purdue's offense, which has been humming to 265 yards on the day, is quite the effort. So they'd be thrilled with that. Three touchdowns and two field goals. That's that's enough for this unit. Like uh, <laughs> They will win most games they play in with, with that sort of effort. They're, they're Iowa 2.0. But much sexier in purple. <laughs> so I, I like how the Wildcats are traveling. I hope they can keep things going and... I, I don't know, I just feel like they've got a, a big upset on their cards this year in terms of they can deliver it to someone. Yeah, okay. I mean, the pressure starts to mount at 4-0 and as well. So they're now going in favourites, and that, that's a far harder job than it is to play spoiler, I suppose. 
No, nah, um, but uh, Northwestern's big journalism school, right? These kids are writing their own press. They're they're all about that. So there's literally no one there. team left that's any good. It's Ohio State. Everyone else fucking sucks. So Wisconsin's pretty good. No. Oh, do we know that? Do we know that? Graham Mertz was mediocre. Uh, so let's get into that. I don't have much on this game, so you could talk us through Wisconsin and Michigan as the Badgers put up 28 points in the first uh, half and then cruised to that easy win, 49-11. to 11. Ooh, Graham Mertz wasn't perfect. Obviously, he was coming off that game against Illinois, but you know Michigan's offense is a mess. Their defense had some okay moments, but just could not hold up against the time of possession and... Um, the the play calling that they were getting busted up with, uh, and and Wisconsin found some running game as well, which was impressive. Yeah, this one didn't really go to script. I mean, teams have been passing all over Michigan. That, that's kind mm. of been the mo, and they've been running up scores there. Wisconsin come in had Graham Mertz, who completed almost every all pass in his first one. Looked looked really really good, and then they just go, nah, fuck that. We're going to run the ball fifty times for yeah. three hundred and forty odd yards. Like just. Yeah jam it down your throat and you are just going to eat it. And they did. It's embarrassing for Michigan. Like, we've officially hit embarrassing levels. One and three on the year and to get blown out 49 to 11, getting pantsed in the first half, this is just not what you expect from the powerhouse Wolverine, like, Program. Are they a powerhouse? Wow. Well, no, but the, as a program, I would they say that they to are. be powerhouse. Exactly. And, and then to have this sort of result is certainly crushing for them. So I think Wisconsin are pretty good. Like This is a decent team. They've shown that now in, in their first couple of games. Uh, yes, Michigan are not where anyone thinks they, sh- they should be, I suppose. But... Um, yeah, the, there's going to be some really serious questions asked of Jim Harbaugh now, and, and I don't think he can his coaching candidacy can have another loss like this on the card. So they're going to have to start to turn things around, otherwise he's a dead man walking. I think he's already that, and he's come out in the media this week and sort of said, oh, it's about the coaching, where it's like, yeah, well, no shit, so sort it out or you dust. So. Anyway, Indiana are clearly the second best team in the Big Ten this year. Ooh, as they shut out Michigan State 24 to nothing. Uh, Spartans used two quarterbacks and they both sucked. Uh, maybe there's a talent issue there. Maybe there's a coaching issue there offensively at Michigan State, which has continued on uh, over the uh, change in staffs, I suppose. Um, so Mel Tucker hasn't exactly been able to move the ball there either. Uh, Fry Fogel for the Hoosiers went off 11 receptions, 200 yards, two TDs. And now the Hoosiers have beaten Michigan, Michigan State and Penn State for the first time in how long, Will? Uh, in the know. same season, sorry. I don't know when was the last time. When was the last time Michigan, Michigan State and Penn State fell to Indiana? Never. It has never happened in the history of the college football. Uh, So well done to Indiana. They're making waves this year, and they now have a top 10 showdown against Ohio State. Um, So it'll just be a matter of can they lose by less than 20. I think that'll be an impressive The disrespect is real. This is a team... That is rolling at the moment. I mean, that is that. If that's not trap game, I don't know what the fuck is. You play Michigan, get that massive win there. You've got Ohio State on the horizon, and then you've got this 
lowly Michigan State team in the middle here. That that just screams trap game, and they just pants them. Yeah, yeah I was I was okay. talking up Northwestern's defense for keeping uh, Purdue down to what two seventy yards was it? Mm-hmm. Who's just gave up just one hundred ninety one yards on the day? That is elite. Pitched a shutout. Michael Penix Jr. I know you were big on him early. Couple of couple of picks in this one, but he was supported just about him. Pretty electric. Yeah, good, the, the, good moving. Um, he's got doesn't have the strongest arm in college football, but he can change the launch point. He's a weapon when he gets to the edge. Um, so yeah, he's a good operator. He's a dynamic player, and I'm hoping that they can provide some fireworks next week and uh, and give us a game. Yeah, I've seen this before, though. I've seen this before from the top four schools in the country, and it just never happens. Anyway, Minnesota, ah, shit. They suck on both offense and defense. They get crushed by Iowa. The offensive line for Iowa, this was like old school Hawkeyes football. They just moved the Gophers off the ball, ran for 235 yards, completely, completely control this one. I could have put up 100 yards as a running back. Well, maybe not. But I could have put up 10 yards as a running back in this game. Uh, Minnesota get blown out here, 35-7. to seven. Uh, Iowa that good. I still I like. I feel like this is like rinse, repeat, groundhog day for Iowa every year where I just don't think they're very good. They play the same style of pro-style offense and okay defense. They lose one early. They blow some teams out that aren't very good. And I think they're not very good, but they're probably better than I give them credit for, and I think we're there again. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, doesn't it? And it's a good summation of that program because you get to the end of the year and they're always at 10 wins, and you're like, how yeah. the fuck did that happen? <laughs> like, at, at no point did they were they really on the radar, and then you're like, yeah. actually, look. An irrelevant 10-win team. Yeah, but like they have a couple of ranked wins on the year, and you're like, that's actually pretty good that's pretty yeah. respectable and you're going to yeah. turn out like one maybe two tight ends to the pros there'll be like a guard who's also going to be drafted in the first couple of rounds Always. and they'll just keep going about that and this year i thought it was going to be different i mean the, the early start they had the off season that was filled with a whole heap of drama i thought mm, finally we're going to see this house of cards come down but full credit to them they've they've turned it around they look really good in this one uh uh, just completely overwhelming Minnesota, as you said, and they continue to roll. So, right off the Hawkeyes at your peril. And I will. Illinois get the better of Rutgers, 20 to 23, 338 yards on the ground for the Fighting Illini as James McCourt, another big kicker game here, hits the game winner from 47. Go on, son. Um, and as good as I've felt about Rutgers, and I sort of banged on about them earlier in the show, that you know, and, and that they have improved and they've looked better. Well, and that's relatively speaking because it's still Rutgers. But they now have the same record as the Illini, who we thought all looked pretty bad. So uh, a good win for for that Illini program. Uh, you know, you've got to win where you can and, and winning in the Big Ten is never easy. Rutgers uh, couldn't stop anyone on the ground and, and that was the difference in this one. Isaiah Williams, he's the man in this one. A massive recruit for Illinois, which just doesn't happen. Like four-star kid who lit up at the high school level and then kind of hasn't been able to break into the starting lineup. Had a, a couple of injuries ahead of him and, and gets an opportunity to show out. Yes, he only went 7 of 18 through the air for 104 yards. 
that's not going to do it most weeks. But when you can scamper for 192 yards, flipping around the backfield, you're going to make shit happen. And, and he was able to do that. So the Illini get a win, which is awesome to see. Let's move on to Penn State and Nebraska. This was an awesome game. Fuck Penn State are terrible. They lost to Nebraska 23-30. to They got completely outmuscled in this one. They did rally a comeback. They were down 27-6. to I just never really felt like Penn State were going to win. Sean Clifford threw a pick, had a fumble return for a touchdown, and then James Franklin said, thanks, but no thanks. He's lost patience with him. Sit your ass down. Will Levis, you take over. And he tried his very best to bring the Nittany Lions back in this one, but they could not get the job done. Luke McCaffrey was the guy for Nebraska in this one. And this is only the second 0-4 start in program history. Is James Franklin in trouble? I don't think he's in trouble yet. I think he has enough runs on the board to weather this. But this Nittany Lions team needs to sort that fucking pregame playlist out. What are they doing? They are a combined 93 to 26 on first half point dif- differential across the year. What are they listening to? Enya? Like, I mean, come, come on, boys. Switch right. it up. Shepherd Moon. Great get, album. So- get something else in on the decks there because this is just not happening for you at the moment. 0 4, as we said, the first time since 2001. Uh, they haven't had a losing season since 2004. If they somehow managed to miraculously pull from, out from here, I'd be shocked. Like th- This team is really not travelling well at the moment. I'm happy for Nebraska to see them get a win, but uh, yeah, yuck, okay. yuck, yuck, Penn State. So you're saying winning record? They're now 0-4. There's, they've got four games left. Well, a losing season. Okay, so four games left, so they've got to win all four. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they've got Iowa next week. At home, but Iowa next week. Then they go to Michigan, to Rutgers, and then at home against Michigan State. Now, you feel the back three are possibly winnable? I don't reckon they get in Iowa. I don't know. Oh, look, me either, but... <laughs> like, in... in, in uh... Coming into the year, I would have thought they'd be favourite in all those games. Now, they're no this good. This team ranked eight to start the year. They're 0-4. What a fucking shit fight they are. All right, let's head across into the ACC. My swearing has been over the top tonight. I do apologise to all the listeners. I don't. But not that much. All right, let's start with Wake Forest and North Carolina. Manning Mark Williams again. Big hole. He cuts back inside. Touchdown. Another score for North Carolina. Which he makes a serious habit of doing. Yeah. North Carolina, 59. Touchdown, put them up 59-45 and really sort of iced the game. Wake Forest scored late and converted a two-point try, but it was a little too little too late. I just said, repeated myself. I apologize. Defense in this game was completely optional and both teams decided not to play any. Three wide receivers, one running back went over 100 yards in the first half. Wake led 45 to 24 with only a few minutes left in the third quarter. And UNC have made a habit of, of this, of, of requiring big last quarter comebacks. And they managed it again this week. It was just shootout 
If you liked offense, this was the one for you. I prefer the games a little more crazy. I want to see some more turnovers. I want to see some more stupid, ridiculous plays. And it didn't really happen. It was just offense going bananas here. There was over a thousand yards of total offense between the both teams across three quarters. Um, that would be more than what Michigan State has been able to put together over the last month, I would suggest. And that includes at training. Um, the as the fourth start unc started to take control and you could just feel it on both sides of the ball there was far more punting um for wake forest they were getting into the backfield being far more disruptive up front and you know four consecutive punts for wake forest across that period was the difference in this one a uh, couple of quick numbers for you 550 yards six tds for sam howe for the tar heels sam hartman had 429 and four tds of his own uh, again, here's another game that I don't really know what it means. I think Wake Forest are, are tough and they've got a good offense. Um, neither defense is particularly good. UNC now 6-2 and two in conference, hanging around, but they've got matchups with Miami and Notre Dame that are looming on the horizon. Any kind of key takeaways with this one? How the fuck do you give up 28 points in the last quarter? Yeah. So we had uh, Wake on the punt in this one, and they, they were good odds, like $4.30 to win, and they were looking yeah. good going into the last. So yeah. to, to have that one's a bit of a heartbreaker for mine. Wake Forest, I, I'm going to throw out there, one of the more enjoyable teams to watch this year in, in mm-hmm. all the country. Like every game they play in, there's, there's a bit of fun. Yes, they've, they now dropped a four and three, but they aren't given a punches like they're only given a punches chance in a lot of these ones and they've been swinging and hitting and then they've looked really good they they obviously kind of fell short in this one or got overwhelmed i guess which is disappointing but sam howe is really kind of not he's not bo nix you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like the, the the two guys had an opportunity to make a step one has the other one certainly hasn't and i think he can if he can continue this trajectory maybe North Carolina might live up to some of that hype that's being flung around that program. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Green was a, a big part of the receiving game for Wake Forest and Daz Newsom as well. I don't know if you saw the uh, touchdown callback from Diami Brown. Uh, his brother caught what would have been a 75-yard touchdown and 10 yards out, Diami just decides to just smoke a defender in the back. The play gets called back. His brother on his first ever what would have been a touchdown in college football doesn't happen. Um, The drive continues anyway, and who catches the touchdown? The older brother. Smooth play by him all around. Knows what's up. Uh, So, yeah, another high-scoring game for UNC. Uh, But we move on. Notre Dame 45, Boston College 31. I I wish I'd taken this because I just had this feeling that Notre Dame heard about this game all week. They heard about it as the danger game. And I don't know what the line was at, but it was almost like beast, uh, Notre Dame to cover here. Uh, what did they get up by? 14 points in the I end? I think it was around 14. Was I think it was yeah. bang on. So maybe, yeah, right. So maybe not. But I just had a feeling that Notre Dame were going to do this okay. And 557 yards of offense, a clean game by Ian Book, despite his running backs putting it on the turf three times. BC were in it early, uh, but couldn't really manage to hold on with Notre Dame as they started to move the ball too easily down the stretch. Uh, is there any you know, chinks in this Notre Dame defensive armor as they concede 31 points to Phil Jerkovic and a Boston College team that 
you know, don't have a whole outside of Zay Flowers, don't have a whole heap of weapons. There's a little bit, and and you'd be a bit concerned giving up uh, the 31, but as I mentioned in the lead-off, Ian Book's play is what they would be really happy about, and that's what they'd be trying to focus on internally. He, he nearly went 300 through the air, nearly 100 on the ground, and is starting to see show some of that dual-threat play. Like we, we hadn't really seen it. He seemed to have fallen much more in the pocket and it looked like it, that was an emphasis to try and get him passing a little bit better and now they, they've freed him back up and they've got him back rolling around and, and doing some things so Notre Dame continues to roll and, and you're right this was a spot that everyone talked about as oh they're going to be the ones to get you know upset on this and they took that on board and said no nah, fuck it not happening and they should be cruising now. I mean, they've got UNC next week, which brings another, a different style of challenge, I suppose. You're going to possibly concede yards and points in that one. So do they have the firepower to match it with them? Um, and can they hold on as UNC will try and rally from behind? Miami 25, Virginia Tech 24. Uh, not a lot to take away from this one. I think Miami were one player away from having this game called off due to COVID. I think they were missing 18 or 19 players, which is a lot of people, a lot of bodies. Um, they didn't actually have anyone else on the offensive line. So to go to Blacksburg and win this one, was it perfect? Absolutely not. You know, they dropped a couple of points in the AP poll, a couple of positions in the AP poll as a result. But you know, they're just winning and this is something that Miami hasn't done. There was a couple of bad coaching decisions, a fake field goal, two-point conversions, which I didn't really agree with, but it's never easy to win on the road. It's never easy to win back-to-back games on the road against solid teams. And with all the misses, I was really, really... I care more this year, which is which is nice. Jalen Phillips was really good for the Canes on the defensive line, three sacks, um, starting to really get it together, I think. And He's probably someone that needs to come back next year and put some more tape or some more good play on, on film uh, before he heads to the NFL, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Manny Diaz, the only kind of other note to take out of this one, he had to take over the defensive play calling in the last quarter. Now, that's the second time in two weeks he's had to take the play calling duties away from his defensive coordinator. So that doesn't look great for Blake Baker in retaining his job at the end of the year. So... Um, in both of those situations, they've held the offense to zero points and not many yards. So um, Blake Baker is not getting it done. Manny Diaz still has got it as a defensive coordinator. I could go into more details, linebacker play, first down play, calling special teams. Not going to bother. They get a win on the road against Virginia Tech. Yep, and that's impressive. They were underdogs in this one. Uh, they needed to get this to keep their hopes alive in the ACC. Uh, I mean, Clemson could lose. I don't think that'll happen, but they could. And then yeah. Miami are looking the goods think, here. I think you've got more chance against Notre Dame losing to North Carolina next week. I feel like that's... But even then, they need another loss somewhere. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Miami are, are good enough anyway. And Miami finished with Wake Forest, UNC, and Georgia Tech at home. So they they get the easier one next week before two really challenging games to finish the year. And... Again, injuries, COVID, all that sort of stuff. There's there's a lot of good games you would think to, to finish here. A lot of interesting ones around who's going to finish second in the ACC. For sure. NC State, State way too good for Florida State, uh, 38-22. to 22. Florida State started their fourth quarterback for the year. Jordan Travis missed this one. Unfortunately for the Knowles, Bailey Hockman, who started for NC State, is a former Seminole player. 
and they probably could have used him as he led that Wolfpack offense well. Virginia beat Louisville 31 to 17, and the Cardinals fall to one and six in conference. They were my darlings of the year, and they have fucking just really shit the bed here. Uh, other games, feel free to comment on any of these. Tulsa scoring 14 unanswered in the final quarter, shut out SMU. Uh, Tulsa undefeated in conference now, so that's pretty good for them in the American. Cincy wins big. Michigan State beats Toledo in a crazy finish. Central Michigan, Kent State, Buffalo all remain undefeated in the MAC after their two weeks. Boise State, Fresno State, San Jose State appear to be the class of the Mountain West. Hawaii go down and Louisiana win in the Sun Belt. Any thoughts on any of those or shall we just mosey on? Let's keep on rolling, my friend. Rewind for the week. What have you got, William? Uh, my end, I like Lane Kiffin. And uh, I'm sure a few of you saw this, but there was one particular play in that old Miss matchup where he has like this uncanny knack of knowing when a play is like just as he's drawn up and it's sprung open well before anyone else. So he'll be on the sideline, quarterback rolls out, and he can see that the receiver has kind of done what he needs to do to get out the back and the arms go up and he's on and he's just like, yep, we're on here. Sure enough, Matty Corral lobs it out for him to get and at this point, Lane Kiffin turns, starts hightailing it down the sideline. The clipboard goes in the air and not just like up this is 30 <laughs> yards in the air like if there's a dome we're, we're starting to get in that territory up no, towards let's there let's calm down on this let's uh, calm down let me this. build it up but uh <laughs> he has a fun and then he's taken off what 40 yards down the sideline whilst he's running there it's good to see that sort of passion on the sideline so i, I enjoyed that moment there i'm going with the colin schooler here on charlie brew we spoke about this one before the show but this was a, a, a strange play charlie brew was running in for a touchdown from what would have been the one yard line. And he looked like he thought he was in already. He started running quite upright. He almost looked like he was high-stepping. Colin Schooler just works through his block and then just delivers a blow on Charlie Brewer to save a touchdown right at the goal line. And this effectively was the difference in this one. I think if Charlie Brewer goes in there, they possibly win this game against Texas Tech. Uh, but anyway, uh, a, a good hit defensively, a nice, um, that's what you want to see, some weighty linebacker play. Yeah, it was a nuts hit and a great call too. Make sure if you do go yeah. back and listen to that, volume up. So that's the Baylor-Texas Tech game. Uh, okay, Aussies in action. Again, I got nothing for you sound-wise, so I need to work on this. But Aussies in action. I know my man Lou Headley's getting some action, some some talk here. So let's Ooh, start yeah. chattering away about these punters. Oh yeah, Lou Headley was unreal. I'll start with him. He's got to win the Player of the Week because his numbers were insane. Like we had amount, so we had volume. We're talking seven punts at fifty-two point four. That is unreal. That is professional numbers. That's nuts. That's he's been a revelation for you boys this he's year. He's coming and back next year as well. He said. It, in a one-point game, that's kind of yeah, like the difference. Fields. I'm going to throw that out there. That's the difference. He's hey. won the Hurricanes that matchup. So, congrats to him. Uh, full credit there. Oh, let's let's start it. Um, but that that's Edley massive. Uh, we had Matty Hable at Florida Atlantic had four yeah. at an average of 48.3, which was really good. Ben Griffiths continues his impressive start to the season at USC with three uh, averaging nearly 48 per. We had a good 
Aussie matchup in that Illinois Rutgers game, and both boys were very impressive, just kicking the ball from one end of the field to each other, I'm assuming, is how that played out. Uh, so Blake Hayes had four at 46, and Adam Corsack for Rutgers was four at 45 and a half. So really just playing kick to kick. Love it. Uh, Josh Sloan out at UTEP had a massive game, and what I'm thinking is probably a career best with his five punts at an average of 50.2. Uh, John Haggerty at Western Kentucky went for five at 48.6. And Trent Schneider was busy with eight punts, uh, but he's really working his way into it this year and finished with an average of 46.6. And those were the top performers of our Aussie lads. There you go. Any other numbers that you want to crunch today and dish out any helmet stickers? I think we spoke most of it. So Sam Howe's effort in that one with six touchdowns and 550 yards was nuts. Matt Corral's day uh, with four touchdowns on 28 of 32 and 513 is just insane. Kevin Harris on the other mm. side of that one with, yeah. with the game that we couldn't believe. And uh, Elijah Moore catching the ball off Matty Corral at 13 at 225. He's been super prolific this year. Yeah. Uh all right, let us get into bold predictions. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. It did not pay off for them, I do not think. So what did you have, Will? Uh, I had that 15, so of the 15 ranked matchups, that uh, more teams would lose than win, and that did Pepper not happen. Needs new shorts. Oh. That yeah. did not happen. There was only one who lost, so that was a fucking terrible call. Well, I actually went okay. I said in the Pac-12, there'd be four road teams that would win and two home teams that would win. Now, two games got cancelled, so naturally that probably leaves, what, three road teams winning and one home team losing if we kind of do some maths. That's exactly what happened. The only downside to that is that I needed, in the Washington-Oregon State game, I needed it to come down to a field goal and Washington would have some sort of field goal impact now they did kick a field goal in the last quarter to maybe ice the game with like four minutes 30 to go or something but i can't really claim it that put them up by seven and uh never never really happened from there so uh i was close but couldn't bring home the chocolates in bold predictions yeah certainly a hell of a lot closer than i was man all right let's go on the punts and do you have good news or do you have bad news i don't actually know so we went on f- how many games did we have four we had three we had three games three. This so week. i'm gonna play this one preemptively unfortunately that is not the uh, case you have played the incorrect one so not like a bit of a bit of a non-event this week really so we had miami beating virginia tech which was good uh, it was almost even money so we, we essentially uh won the two units there then we had wake over unc that would have been a great result uh, mm, obviously not to have. be so lost the two there so we're, we're kind of even at that point we had cow to beat arizona state game got cancelled got our money back and then i had a multi on the three of them so I, I dropped that one unit there so we're one unit down on the day we can wear okay. that yeah i mean that's 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 good for you um so that's nice yeah, if we actually do look out over the year, we're down 15 and a half units now. So if I'd only dropped one each week, then yeah, we'd be in a better spot. There you go. 
Okay, well, that brings us to the end of recap for week number something, 11? Yep. 900, it fucking feels like at this point. We are on the grind. Now, just before we do go, uh, please make sure that you do do all the usual things that we normally say here at this point. So hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at CFB down under. Make sure that you do subscribe to the show. Tell your friends, leave us those reviews, all those things that you probably haven't done but should. And you're like, hey, you know what? I keep hearing this at the end of this episode and I really should do something. I really should help out. I've got this mate who would, you know, he's a gazillionaire and he would love to give some money to these guys, but I just don't leave that review. I just don't tell him about it. And I really should because I think that he thinks that, you know, Aaron's really funny and and Will is an alcoholic. So um, I think he'll enjoy it, but you just haven't done it yet. Well, now's the time. All right. Don't be a douchebag. Fucking get it done. Lastly, um, you know, we've spoken a lot. We've spoken a lot about road rules. And there's one other road rule that I would just like to address just very quickly here as I blow the time up completely. When you go through roadworks and it says slow down to 60 and then 200 meters further down, you speed up again, but there was no roadworks, that fucking gets at me. That just pisses me off. Sort that out. Uh, as in the person who's slowing down or no, no, the fact no. that not the person no... slowing down like the, the fact that there are signs there asking me to slow down for road work that doesn't exist okay that, that, I, mean, I don't have a lot for you there my friend that's... that is all roundabouts and road works that's what we've spoken about uh, okay well that does bring us to the end as we've hit on a whole bunch of shit uh, we've got Bedlam coming up next week, so uh, hopefully that game doesn't get cancelled. It probably will because, hey, it's 2020. I'm pretty sure they don't believe in the COVID in Oklahoma, so we're, we're all good there, my friend. <laughs> How do you reckon the Trump supporters are coming down? Ah, well, they would be in the thick of it there, so... <laughs> the reddest state in the country. All right. Uh, thank you on behalf of that guy over there. Sorry, thank you for joining us. My name's Aaron, that's Will, and we will see you next time.